the abundant collection of friends tonight. Wonderful to have you here. Who here has a seasonal guide on them? So good. Yes, Naomi does. Powerful. Three does. Yeah, so great. Just to say, just to say that through through the journey of Lent, for those of you who like, it's just too heavy to bring your Bible. You can bring that compact edition seasonal guide, which has the scripture right there for you every week on a Sunday. If you want to remember that for next time, you can bring that along. You can read along with the word. So, um, yeah, for those of you who have been um, looking at your seasonal guide this week or been in a group, or if you're just really onto it with the um, lectionary, you'll know that we're talking about Jesus in the wilderness. And just to kind of spark a little bit of imagination about wilderness, I wanted to kind of share some thoughts I've had about wilderness this week. So I was thinking about how even in New Zealand when you go into like the wilderness, there's still a trail, like someone's built a track and made posts for you and said like, oh, this is a one hour return, but actually it's like 30 minutes because for some reason they always give you so much time. And that that's not the kind of wilderness really that we're talking about that Jesus is in. This wilderness is a place with no trails where, you know, there might be some kind of logic going on in this, this ecosystem, but to the human eye, it's just like a big wide space of possibility where there's kind of this blank canvas, both of possibility. You could take any, any way. Um, there could be a million different paths through it. And yet it's also kind of this wild place of nothingness um, where humans aren't inhabiting it, where no one has gone and kind of constructed a way to understand that space. It's kind of beautiful and it's in its freedom and it's terrifying and isolating at the same time. And so with that kind of imagery in mind, I'm going to read the scripture. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered him by quoting from Deuteronomy. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone. The devil then led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and their splendor. It's been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus refused backing his answer from Deuteronomy again. It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Or the way this is said in the message translation is, Serve God with absolute single-heartedness. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. And he said, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down here. For it is written in the Psalms, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands, and you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered, Yes, it it does say that, but it also says, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. And so we can see in tonight's scripture that the wilderness was a place where Jesus' strength and resolve is tested. The wilderness is a place where his kind of sheer willpower is put to the test, but it's also a place where Jesus' identity as one who serves God is tested. Jesus' faithfulness to God and his relationship with God is tested in the wilderness by the devil. And we see that 
Jesus navigates these temptations and he kind of consolidates his identity as one who stays faithful to God, even under this pressure. So for Jesus, the wilderness is a place where his identity is tested, but where his identity is proven. And I think that, in a way, we can probably relate to this, right? People pay a lot of money to go um, down to Outward Bound or, like, go tramping or climb up on mountain faces and, or, you know, maybe diving to the bottom of the sea and to have an experience of testing yourself. People talk about finding out what they're made of or pushing their limits. In a few weeks' time, um, our friends Scotty and Jess and Prashan and Esme are going to be doing the Oxfam Trail Walker, walking 100Ks non-stop. Um, I see that we have a few veterans of the Oxfam Trail Walker in the house. Um, yeah. So yeah, you guys might be a, a bit more um, expert to, to comment on it, but I've been thinking about, you know, we're going on this trip and I'm going to be support crew on the Oxfam Trail Walker. And I've been kind of wondering, like, you know, what's going to happen? What is this experience going of pressure going to bring out in my friends? Is this going to cause them to give up some of their identity? For some in the group, will it cause them to give up their identity as just so upbeat, so positive? Will the trail walker defeat them? For others... <laughs> the group maybe it's their identity as someone who's really chill and unfazed can just go with anything their identity as brothers and sisters in Christ who love one another I'm guessing that the quality of their love and patience will be put under a little bit of pressure and what's more they've got this team thing going you guys um, may or may not have seen on Facebook the team is called the OXOs kind of similar to those stock cubes you can buy to make your soup <laughs> And I hear you can still make donations towards them um, to raise money for Oxfam. So, yeah, just, just heard that just now. Um, but they've got this team thing going, and I'm thinking, is this massive walk going to put a bit of pressure on the team vibe? How's this going to go as teammates who stick together and who do the journey together? Their commitment to stay walking the trail together when their bodies are sore. So who knows? I'm sure that there'll be some good stories or some sermon illustrations that come out of this experience. But for tonight, I say this because we're talking about wilderness experiences and how they form our identity and how that identity is formed by pressure. And so, a little bit of backstory. We're going to jump back to another story of the wilderness. Ooh, what could it be? There's a story in um, the Bible that is kind of commonly referred to as the Exodus story, where um, some people got out of Egypt, made a big trip through a desert, and came to the land of Canaan. And so for those of you who are a bit familiar with the Old Testament, you'll know that in ancient times, God chose this guy named Abraham, and he said, I'm going to bless your family, and I'm going to multiply your family, and that your, this, this family of yours is going to become a people who I will um, reveal myself to, and they will be a witness to the world of what I'm like. And so, yeah, God took this unlikely fellow, and he, he did just that. He multiplied his, fam his family. And so we have, kind of in the first five books of the Old Testament, the story of Abraham's descendants and how it all played out. And some of you, um, if you're wanting the kind of animated version, you could watch The Prince of Egypt, which has got a huge soundtrack, massive soundtrack, would recommend. 
But yeah, the gist of that story is that Abraham's descendants end up in Egypt and they are this big population and they become oppressed and used as like slaves in Egypt. And they cry out to God and God hears their cry. And then after a kind of big to-do with Pharaoh, God rescues the people out of Egypt and leads them to the brink of wilderness. But before they enter the wilderness, before they go on this journey through this testing time, God gives them this massive revelation of who he is and of who they are as his people. He gives them these instructions, these family rules of what it means to be in relationship with him and with one another. It's the kawa for how things are done in God's household. God bestows upon his people their identity before they go through the wilderness. But it's in the wilderness that that identity is tested and honed and proven. And so in plan A, the journey through the wilderness to the promised land isn't really supposed to take that long. But the people, yeah, they say, oh, actually, they get partway there and they're like, this is so bad, we're hungry, we're thirsty, blah, problems. We want to go back to Egypt, we'd rather be slaves again. They say, we don't want this new identity you've given us, God. We'd rather go back and be slaves. We don't want this identity you've given us, we'd rather go back to being slaves. And so God, ever creative, moves to plan B, and he says to this rebellious people, fine, if you don't want this gift of this place I've got for you, you won't have it. For those of you who have complained, you won't actually get this thing. But I'm not going to ditch you altogether. I won't go back on my promise. I will lead people, the next generation will enter the land, but we're just going to have to go the long way around through the wilderness. And so what this wilderness story ends up being is one where the hearts of the Hebrews, of this people, are tested and refined. It's in the wilderness where, um, through the, the course of generations, they learn how to lay aside their identity as slaves and learn to relate to God and one another as free people. In the wilderness, the Israelites, or the Hebrews, identify uh, their identity is called forth, and it's tested, and it's formed. And we read this in Deuteronomy. It says, this is in Deuteronomy 8. Now, listen carefully. There might be something that you've heard before. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger, and he fed you with manna, which you didn't know about, nor did your fathers know about, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And so if you've read the story of Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, which to be honest, I have not read all those books of the Bible, but this week I watched the Bible Project's video versions of them, just for a little recap. So powerful, would highly recommend. I was like addicted, gripping stuff. You will see this unfolding story of Israel, or the Hebrews, learning to trust God and live into this identity he's given them. They try and they fail. And they try and they fail, and God continues to be faithful to them, even in their rebellion. And through this, their identity is honed and consolidated in the wilderness. They learn what it means to be the people of God. And I think it's safe to say that for all people, the experience of being in like a physical wilderness is always a place where human resilience is tested and where identity and character is tested. But for the people of God, the wilderness is also a place where our identity as God's people is tested. 
In the wilderness, we face up to our needs and our shortcomings, and ultimately those things reveal to us some of the deeper questions of life and who we are. In the wilderness, we face up with our inability to trust. In the wilderness, we are confronted by our fears. In the wilderness, our faith in God is tested. And so my first point tonight is that the wilderness experience always tests the robustness of our identity in God. So jumping forward back to our passage for tonight, I want to highlight that there's parallel stories going on here. There's the story of God's people, the Hebrews who walked for 40 years in the desert. And then there's the story of the Son of God, Jesus, who walked for 40 days in the desert. In the wilderness, Jesus, like the people of Israel, was tempted to be less than what God called him to be. Like Israel, he was tempted to let his physical needs, his hunger and his thirst, drive him to live counter to God's intention for him. Like Israel, he was tempted to bow down to another one, to give his honour to someone other than God, to give his devotion to another. Like Israel, he was tempted to test the sincerity of God's love for him, to put God to the test to see if he was actually true and authentic in his love. But in the wilderness story, where Israel failed, Jesus succeeds. Today's passage starts with saying Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And I think it's important for us to know what happened just prior to that. Where, where was he led from? We read just before that in Luke 3 that Jesus was down at the River Jordan being baptised by John. It says, when all the people were being baptised, Jesus was baptised too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven and said, You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Here Jesus' identity is proclaimed. He is a beloved son. And then from there he's led into the wilderness to live out that identity. You can see that parallel with the story of the Israelites. They get given this identity and then go into the wilderness. Same with Jesus. And we see that in the wilderness, Jesus holds on to his identity in God. He trusts God even when he's weary and he's tempted to believe the offers that the devil has made to him. In the seasonal guide group I'm a part of this week, we were talking about the scripture and um, the kind of idea was brought up about how Jesus must have been really in tune with God in order to discern what the voice of God was in those situations. Like he's having scripture quoted to him and is trying to figure out what he should do. And it's in these moments of temptation that Jesus was considering what kind of Messiah he would be. In the scripture, we just hear the kind of challenge that Jesus um, is offered and then his response. But behind his response, you've got to think that they've come from somewhere. His, his retorts come from somewhere. And they, I think, must come from a robust understanding of who God is and who Jesus is in God. Behind Jesus' words as his rationale, his understanding of who God is, who he is, and who God is calling him to be. And from this kind of firm place of his identity in God and his relationship with God, Jesus refutes the temptation that's offered him. And we see this again and again throughout the Gospels. Jesus is always scurrying off to have time alone praying with God. Recentering on who God is and who he is and on what God is calling him to do. 
Jesus' victory in the wilderness was because he stayed intimately connected to the heart of God. He stood firmly in his identity, proclaimed upon him in the waters of the Jordan as God's beloved. And so through this experience in the wilderness, we see that God is redeeming, Jesus is redeeming Israel's failure. It's like a symbolic like beginning of Jesus' ministry. He goes back to this place that's been marked by rebellion, the wilderness, and where people kind of keep throwing off the identity that God gave them. And he makes a way through it. He redeems the human story of trusting God in the wilderness. He consolidates his identity. He doesn't just believe the words that are said in the Jordan, but it actually gets kind of honed and proven through this experience. The experience of being in the wilderness brings Jesus up against choices and opportunities, and they force him to dig deeper into that identity as God's beloved, and to dig deeper into choosing what kind of Messiah he'd be. If you've been to Blueprint, probably at all, you will have heard us talk about the bizarreness of the kind of Messiah that Jesus was. Or maybe you've heard about this in other churches, I suspect so. Every Jew of Jesus' day was looking for a kind of valiant war hero to come and save them from Roman oppression. Jesus himself grew up around this. He would have been aware of the ruthlessness with which the Romans occupied um, the territories they had. And he would have been aware of the expectations of his people. He would have known that they were wanting someone to come and liberate them and, and how they thought that was going to happen. But he also would have had this dawning understanding. It's quite beautiful to imagine like Jesus as a kid and growing up, figuring out who he's going to be. This dawning understanding through his life that he was God's beloved son. He was this chosen one, this Messiah, who was going to redeem the world. But how that was going to happen is in a way that no one was expecting. And in fact, no one was wanting. In that temptation moment with the devil, Jesus is showing all the kind of kingdoms of the world and the way that their power operates. And Jesus refuses that. He chooses the difficult, narrow way of saying, no, that's not the kind of power I'm going to have. I'm going to stay obedient to God and the way he's calling me to walk. He chose this difficult, narrow way of living fully into the identity and character and plan that God had for him. In the fourth chapter of John's Gospel, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And what we see in this passage is that right at the start of Jesus' ministry, he's, he's showing that he's redeeming the story of um, the past failure of God's people. And he's showing that he is going to make a way through that. He makes a way through temptation. He makes a way through all the spaces where it would seem like people couldn't live fully into the identity that they have in God. This is the start of Jesus' ministry, the very start of his story. And on the other side of that story, in a few weeks' time, when we're on the other side of Lent, at Easter we will remember Jesus' ultimate death and resurrection and how that made a way through death itself. But for today, my second point is that Jesus has made a way through the wilderness. Here, Jesus has symbolically redeemed the past wilderness experiences of the, of the people of Israel. And he is ushering in this new way where people can follow him and, and live into the identity and the life that he creates. And so I think it is through Jesus' story 
in the wilderness, that we can know that our own stories and lives and moments of wilderness can be redeemed. And this swiftly brings me to my third point for tonight, which is, yeah, which is that we have a saviour who can empathise with our experience. We have a saviour who was tempted and tried. And we can take heart because that saviour made a way through the wilderness. And I just want to highlight, kind of as an aside here, that Jesus wasn't doing anything wrong that he ended up in the wilderness. He was obedient when he got baptised and then was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And that I just want to say that when we step out in obedience to God, sometimes, without knowing it, we will be stepping out into the, into the wilderness and it might be quite hard. And our identity in God might be kind of squashed down. There might be a lot of things that come that make that really difficult. And that might make us think, oh no, we've done the wrong thing. But that's not what we see happening here in this story. Wilderness can be for us an opportunity for God's grace to enter, for us to um, have our identity honed and tested and proven. And so I just wanted to briefly share a story about how that kind of happened for me, which was kind of this time last year where I kind of just had quite a gnarly Lent. It was quite, it was quite a full-on time. And I definitely felt like I was in the wilderness. Like I had felt like I'd said yes to God and was being obedient to where he was calling me to be. Yeah, but then was also freaking out that I wouldn't have enough provisions. Like full on, if I was Jesus in the wilderness and had the capacity to turn stones into bread, I would be just, it would be a bakery out in the wilderness. Eh? Like, <laughs> just my sense of scarcity around like not having enough be that in food or people to have my back when things get tough or people to be with me kind of yeah that kind of concept of, of having enough and my fear of that is kind of an ongoing thing that the Lord is underscoring but yeah this time last year um, that was that was going on a lot and I look back and am grateful in some ways that God brought about good lessons for me through that. And I don't think, this isn't to say that God creates bad things in the world. And yeah, I remember I remember someone saying once at a conference thingy I went to that God doesn't give what Jesus came to redeem us from. God doesn't go out kind of giving us bad experiences to, to test us. But the nature of life is such that hard times come. And... In Jesus, we can know that we have a saviour who endured the wilderness and who can empathise with our experience of hard times. And we have a God who, yeah, is so creative and so consistently faithful to us, even if we rebel, even if we kind of ditch in the wilderness. The wilderness for us can be an opportunity to trust God and an opportunity to keep being obedient, even under pressure, and therefore grow more deeply into our identity, into our identity that God has given us. And so I just want to finish this spiel with this beautiful scripture from Hebrews, which I think is an invitation for us tonight. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, 
Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathise with our weakness, but we have one who is tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And so tonight I think just invite you guys to maybe shut your eyes and take a moment to let Portugal simmer down and then I will pray into that.